Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast where we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. Then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and today's date is Thursday, the second day of February 2017, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. You know, don't think about the good old days and want to go back to them. Because I don't think any of us would know how to survive. Think about, I mean, when we think about the way we used to live, there are things that we have in our lives now that I couldn't live without, nor could you. How do I know this? Right now, think about it. If you're listening to these words right now, it's because you were connected to iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, whatever the hell you listen to me on, and you have your little earbuds in, or you have it on the computer, or you have it on your, 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 your cell phone or your tablet or however the hell you enjoy your pal Sully. And there would be no way, no way you would be able to follow me in the past because the technology wasn't there. Your pal saw you, like, there would be, like, four people who would know me. Like, I would be at a bar, and we would laugh. Ah, Sully knows a lot about this. And that'd be it. My friend Garvin Ness, who does batting stance impersonations, became a sensation on YouTube. He got invited to do his batting stance impersonations in front of players and Major League Baseball players. He got on David Letterman. Letterman, my idol growing up in terms of comedy. Gar was on the show, was a guest, got the panel, got to do his batting stance impersonations. If it wasn't for YouTube and, and, and the internet, he would just be a funny guy at a barbecue. Not someone with a Letterman credit. And I, I there was something I stumbled across on YouTube. A little thing that I stumbled across that made me stop and think, holy cow, how did we used to live without certain things in our life? Because it brought up a concept of there are things that we take for granted now. Things we take for granted in terms of following sports, following media, and most importantly, contributing to media, contributing to pop culture, contributing to the news cycle. And this clip that I saw sort of made me stop and think about the dedication I had as a, as a Boston Red Sox fan for years and years and years and made me wonder, wow, how did we used to do it before? Let me tell you what it is. I'll give you a little bit of backstory here. In 1990, the Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays were in a neck-and-neck battle to win the American League East division. And it, it went to the last day of the season. And the Red Sox, I think, I may have gotten one or two points here, but I knew the last day of the season, the Red Sox needed to win 
If they lost, I believe it would have forced a one-game playoff, or maybe there was there was it was the final day of the season. If the Red Sox won, they won the division. Whether the magic number was two or one, I don't hundred percent remember, but I knew a victory clinched it. And so the Red Sox were playing the White Sox in the final day of the 1990 season. And I remember there was one interesting little um, side note about that, which is something that probably only uniform aficionados would pick up on. But the White Sox wore in 1990 those really boring uh, uniforms where it kind of said White Sox with script on the front, and their hat had a C with a little cursive C on it. And they didn't have those uniforms for very long, for 87, 88, 89, 90, just for those four seasons. But, and that was the final year that they played in Comiskey Park before moving into what was at first called New Comiskey Park and now is U.S. Cellular Field. And for that final game, for those final series, they wore the uniforms that they were going to wear from that season on, which are the current uniforms where it says socks on the hat and it's predominantly uh, black and white as opposed to having the red highlights that the other hats had. So it's as if they, they closed up Comiskey Park and then previewed next year's uniforms. I don't know why I know that. I don't know why that interests me. It interests me and maybe interests two of you and the rest of you. Well, it's not going to really affect your lives that much. So the Red Sox played this game, and interestingly, uh, Carlton Fisk was still on the White Sox you know, to remind the Red Sox all those years that they should have signed him after the 1980 season. The, Mike Boddicker was pitching for the Red Sox. He pitched well. Alex Fernandez pitched for the White Sox. He pitched well. And with two outs at the top of the ninth, the Red Sox were one out away from clinching the division. Jeff Rudin on the mound. And Ozzie Guillen, future White Sox manager, hit a line drive that looked like it was going to be a game-time triple into the corner. Tom Brunanski, the Red Sox right fielder, Dwight Evans was reduced to a DH that year, went running into the corner, slid, and caught the ball, and the Red Sox won the American League East. Now, the way the camera was set up, you didn't have 50,000, you had a bunch of cameras, but you had 50,000 cameras like they have now in a stadium. So where he managed to slide in that little area in right field at Fenway Park, where it kind of curves around, he slid into the one place, the one place in a Venn diagram that the camera could not see. So for a moment, he slid out of view of the camera. And Sean McDonough, who is a tremendous announcer, could not call... He caught it right away. There was a moment of confusion for the television viewer. Did he make the catch? And he emerged with the ball. The ump called him out. The, some fans ran on the field. The fans who saw it lined up were on the, you know, started running on the field and everything like that. The Red Sox won the division and then got their ass kicked by the Oakland A's in the playoffs. But they won the division. Now, I remember I watched that game on television. There was a bar called the Bottom of the Ninth that was located in uh, near New York University. It was somewhere, it was like on Waverly Place in the village in Manhattan. 
And I was 18 years old, a freshman at NYU, and they allowed people under 21 there. And me and the late Bob Kazmarek, a friend of mine who passed away, and one other person whose name I don't remember, we were watching the game because it was our chance to see them clinch, and I wanted to watch it. I couldn't watch it on my phone. Do you know why? At the time, the phone was just a phone. You picked it up, you put it down, you talked in it. We didn't have portable TVs. I had a TV in my room, but we just had the rabbit ears. We didn't have cable. It was the ESPN game. And I was cheering on the Red Sox. Now, sitting in there was a fella who was wearing a Blue Jays jacket, was a Dominican fellow from Fort Washington who was also watching one of the other TVs that was showing the Blue Jay game. And remember at the time, the Blue Jays were very, very popular throughout any city that has a Dominican neighborhood. The Yankees were not that popular. The Yankees stunk in 1990. They had no, they didn't capture the imagination of the city. And the Blue Jays still had Tony Fernandez. They still had George Bell. They still had Manny Lee. They still had many players from the Dominican Republic on that team. So they were, you saw a bunch of people walking around New York City with Toronto Blue Jays jackets because they were the team. If you were a, 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 a Dominican baseball fan, your team was the Blue Jays. And so there was this Dominican guy and I were trash talking a little bit. And, of course, the Red Sox won. I jumped up. I hugged Bob Kaczmarek, who was rooting for the Red Sox, too. And there you go. And we cheered it on. I had to make the effort to find the bar that was showing the game in order to witness it live. Now, today, I would use my app. But there, you had, you had to go for it. And remember, my family moved to Palo Alto in 1987, and I still follow the Red Sox every day, but I couldn't watch them every day. I had to go to the box or to wake up in the morning to see if they won the game, where my dad and I would wait for Marky Banyas or, or you know, uh, Steve Fiziak to do the sports wrap-up around 10 o'clock at night. You had to make the effort. I had to make the effort to see that game. There was a real chance I wasn't going to see that game. And I'd have to wait for the highlights or something crazy like that. And just see maybe one or two highlights. But that moment when Brunanski made the catch, there was a, I remember there being a moment of confusion. Did he catch it? I don't know. And then I, we celebrated. Now the thing that, you know, that made me, you know, scratch my head and think, Wow, how did we used to do it? Was something that I found on YouTube on the Brunanski catch. I was going through a, a, a YouTube wormhole and I found is it a wormhole or a rabbit hole? It's a rabbit hole. A wormhole is what held up the USS Enterprise in Star Trek the Motion Picture. I was going down a rabbit hole and then a wormhole. And I saw a clip from Eyewitness News Channel 4 in Boston with Bob LaBelle and Liz Walker and Jack, Christ, I can't remember Jack's name, but the, the, the newscasters I grew up watching. And Bob LaBelle, who is Boston sports, was setting up the fact that someone at Fenway Park took video 
and it was the best angle that we saw of the Tom Brunanski catch. Now, the person who made the video, the man who, who, who caught the video, was a stand-up comedian. Now, I don't know this stand-up comedian. If I had met him, I apologize. I, I, I don't, I may have done a show with him because I used to do a lot of shows up in Boston. Mike Donovan, who's, uh, who's been a comedian for a long time and still is a comedian and was a Boston-based comedian. Who knows? I may have done a show with him. I don't remember. But Bob LaBelle sets up this video saying that a comedian named Mike Donovan was in Fenway Park that night and he took video and it's the clearest angle that we have where we see that Brunansky made the catch. Now, it is VHS, and it makes me think that he was having, he had a big, clunky VHS camera. This was 1990. I had one of those things. You looked like a bazooka on your shoulder. And Mike Donovan zoomed in and managed to get that catch. And the, and the great thing is, you see he makes a catch. You also see in the foreground, you see first baseman Carlos Quintana jump up in the air So you, when he sees that the catch is made. And you see a few fans run on the field. It's kind of the end, kind of the final gasp of fans running on the field. I don't remember fans running on the field on a championship celebration. The last one I can remember was when the Mariners won the division in 1995. I don't really remember there ever being a mob after that. There wasn't much of a mob in 90 either, for that matter. But they set it up that a, a comedian got this video, and there it was. They showed it. And I watched it and said, at the time, that would have been the equivalent of a video going viral. And think about that. This was kind of a novel thing, that there was another angle, that a fan was taking it, that a fan was even recording anything. And we got to see it on Channel 4. It didn't go viral on YouTube. There was no YouTube. There was technically an internet, but no one had any access to anything unless you were a real tech nerd sending video to each other or sending you know, emails to each other. So this was like the early version of creating a cell phone video and posting it. This was making the effort to have the camera and shoot it with videotape, a charged battery, a clean tape, and sending it to Eyewitness News so Bob LaBelle could show it. If Tom Bernanski made that catch today, we would see it from every angle, every angle possible. But back then, it took the effort of one guy lugging his video camera into Fenway Park to capture that moment. And having the foresight to be videotaping at that moment and not cheering along like every other fan. That he was in the mindset of a fan from 2016 and 2017 and doing that 17 years ago. A point I've made on this podcast and I'll make it again now, that I believe that those fans holding up their cameras and recording are doing us all a service. 
because they're recording it. And when something positive happens and they share it, they're sharing a moment of being at the stadium in the stands with us. When you can go back to what Mike Donovan did back in 1990, filming that, and we see, yeah, there's no, there is no controversy. There is no legend. He slid into the corner and no one was sure. No, he was sure. Mike Donovan filmed it. And believe me, I've never met Mike Donovan. If I do, I don't remember. But he doesn't have the technology to fake that. That was an actual moment shared. The effort, the tiny slivers of the elements of fandom that we take for granted took an act of me finding the right bar and going down to this place on, on 8th Street and, and Waverly in order to watch it in a corner and Mike Donovan lugging his big-ass video camera to get it as we're experiencing the stuff that we take for granted now. And that's what it took to be a sports fan then. That's why it was so much easier if you moved to a new place to just adopt the new team. It would have been a hell of a lot easier for me to adopt the Giants when we moved out here or for me to adopt the Yankees when I moved to New York because back then, that was the only ones you could see regularly. I made the effort. Mike made the effort. And because of that, a wonderful moment got to be experienced live by me and got to be shared to this day on YouTube. I wonder if Mike posted that on YouTube. I bet he did. It's easier being a fan now. It's easier because we can follow our teams when we want, watch our teams when we want, unless it's the local team that's been blacked out. Jesus, don't get me started. And we can also share the experience. Man, imagine... Just imagine if we had more video from the stands, from the fans' point of view, of great moments in baseball history. And moments where there's not the same level of mythology. Well, no one knew for sure if Tom Brunanski caught it or not, but the umpire called him out. Nope, we know. Boom. We know. So, Mike Donovan, if you're out there, thanks for bringing a video camera. Thanks for making the effort to bring a heavy, awkward piece of video equipment to Fenway Park in 1990. You made an experience better for all of us. You got to experience that. Something that happened 17 years ago can be shared with us now because of your foresight. You were a modern baseball fan 17 years ahead of your time. And now, let's just savor the fact that we have some of these creature comforts. That we're able to have some of the things that we can take for granted now in our fandom. We can watch what teams we want and we can share the experience of being in the stadium. Now look at this weekend they're going to play the Super Bowl. I don't know who the hell is going to win. I have a feeling it's going to be either New England or Atlanta. But no matter what happens, we're going to see things from the stands. 
whether someone throws a great touchdown or makes a great interception or whatever like that, we're not just going to see the Fox coverage it. We're going to see what it felt and looked like in the stands, just like we have when Ortiz hit the home run and the cop jumped up and down, just like we had when you saw the Cubs make the final out in the World Series, just like we had when you saw the Rajay Davis home run in Game 7. We got to see clips from people in the stands reacting and everything. And so, this is what fandom is today. I was ahead of my time because I wanted to watch whatever team I wanted to watch. And do you know what? I made the effort. And I like the fact that I don't have to go running to the basement bar to see my team now. So, with that in mind, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Twitter, on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. And you bet I'm posting that video clip on sullybaseball.com. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the second day of February 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.